0: Hey there, friends. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me on the Keto for Women show for this episode. That will be another Keto Hot Seat episode, round two of those questions. You guys all asked me such great questions for the last round. And if you didn't listen to that episode, go back a few and you will be able to get caught up with the first round. So I answered, gosh, probably about... 15-ish questions that you all had, and now we are moving on to get through. I promise I will get through all of these. It's going to take a couple more episodes, but I'm going to get through them all that you asked on Instagram and Facebook when I requested, and then once we get through all of these, I'll do it again. I did get some really good feedback from that last episode That was the Keto Hot Seat episode, and so I know you guys are enjoying it as much as I do to be able to do this format of answering your questions. It's just fun because I don't know the questions. I have no idea what you all are going to ask me. I haven't looked at any of them. I just today pulled up where I had left off and didn't go anywhere beyond that, so it's going to be a surprise to all of us what you have asked and what my answers will be which I think just shows my personality, my answers just from a whim and what I truly believe and how I truly answer questions without any sort of curated format or notes in front of me or anything like that. I just think it's way more fun and way more personal so you can get to know me a little better. Before we hop into these questions, let me go through a few things first here. First of all, I am pre-recording this episode a few weeks in advance because I'm traveling. As most of you probably know, these are the weeks that I am away on conference tour, I'm going to call it, because I have back-to-back weekends of conferences. So when this episode airs, if you're listening to this around the time that it comes out on Fridays... I will be in Mallorca, Spain, at the Low Carb Universe Keto Ladies Conference. So excited for that. And I know there are several of you listeners that are going to be there. So I'm hanging out with you all right now in person. We're probably having lunch or something. Well, who knows? Because we're in a totally different time zone over there. So we might be sleeping when this airs. Who knows? That is going on. And I came from the... NTA, Nutritional Therapy Association Conference, the weekend prior, which we talked about last week, and I am going to update you all on everything that I've learned over the course of these two conferences and maybe just some stuff that I learned along the way in between and afterwards because I'll explain what's happening in between these conferences and after the low-carb universe in just a second. I'm going to update you all on a future episode in the next few weeks. Once I get back, that will be the episode I record because I always like to share the knowledge that I learned, what I gained from these conferences for those that couldn't attend. So that will be coming up, be on the lookout for that particular episode. So in between, I spent a few days in one of my new favorite places after I went and visited in November in Palma, Which is kind of the town of Mallorca, Spain. So much fun there. Love that place so much. And I'll let you know if anything happened in those few days that I was taking the time really to unwind between the two weekends. For me, as an introvert, and all you introverts know exactly what I'm talking about, having a weekend around people 24 7 and large groups of people, while so fun and something I love to do. I need about two or three days in between, totally by myself, to recharge and to get the energy back that I spent being in a room of people because... I love kind of being an extrovert in those settings, but then I need that time in between to be a hermit, essentially. So I'm taking those few days in Palma to do so. I'll let you know what happens in that period of time, what I'm eating, what I'm sightseeing, that good stuff. And you can, of course, follow me in the moment, over on Instagram stories, of course. But then after that, I'm heading with my friend and someone who has been a guest on this podcast. And I know a lot of you already know her and follow her, Steph Dodier, We're heading over to Lisbon, Portugal for a few days. Portugal has been a place on my bucket list for a very long time, probably in the top five of places I've wanted to visit. So we decided that was a really great opportunity already being over in Spain to make that quick jump to Portugal. So we will be heading there Sunday night after the conference, and I will be there about four days. She's going to spend a little bit longer, but I have to get home. And this is another really exciting thing I'm pumped to share with you all. Like I said, I am pre-recording this episode. So some of you might already know this if you do follow me on Instagram stories, but it's a little bit in the past now if you're listening to when it airs. But I just put an offer in and got the offer accepted on my very first brand new condo, something I actually own, (laughs) probably the first thing that I've ever totally put that much energy and effort into to actually owning. So if you've all been first-time home buyers before, then you know how exhilarating and exhausting and stressful and emotional but fun that whole process is. And I had a great experience with it all. I found my perfect spot. I cannot wait. I cannot believe it. I cannot believe how quickly I'm moving in. And that is mine. And I am in this space right now of actually not really totally believing it's happening, but it is. And so I will be sharing all of that information, how that's all going, just as some personal side notes to begin these episodes as it unravels. But I will be now coming back from Portugal straight into packing and getting ready to move because it is going to be A really quick closing process so I'll be able to get in in a matter of weeks and live there permanently. So great as someone who has done a lot of apartment hopping over the past, gosh, 12, 13, 14 years to have a home. I cannot wait. If you are someone that wants to have more of a behind-the-scenes look of that whole process and my new place and the decorating that's going to be happening in that new place, then I would recommend you head over to Instagram. I'll be doing all the the behind-the-scenes stuff over on those stories. It's like my favorite thing to do. And you can get to know a little bit more about me on a personal level over there. I'm Sean Minor Health there and on Facebook, which also now carries the stories. So even if you don't have Instagram, if you have Facebook, you can check me out there. That's enough personal stuff about me. Let's move into just a few business announcements. So I have determined the next enrollment period for the Good Gut Project. Right now, going through the beta test for that group. And it is an amazing class that is so helpful for anyone looking to heal their gut to find out the root cause of their potentially gut issues and digestive dysfunction, but also like if you have skin issues or anxiety, depression, Anything, there's so many things that are linked back to gut health that really come about as random symptoms that actually aren't. And it's just such a great tool to be able to actually find that information out using functional lab testing, looking into your gut health, looking into your food sensitivities, taking out those foods for a short period of time, and really allowing your gut to heal once and for all. If that's something that you're interested in, the beta test is underway, and I'm learning so much, and I am modifying things just slightly. There were a few bumps in the road of things that I didn't know were going to happen, so this is why I do beta tests. Thank goodness for the ladies who are willing to go through that process with me. Thank you all so much. But now it's ready for the first full real group. That group is going to start April 30th. However, because of the length of time it takes to get your test kits sent to you, for you to collect your samples, for you to send the test kits back, have the lab review your results, have the lab send the results to me, it's a long process, obviously, as you can see. So we need that time to get all of that done before the class starts. So enrollment period will start March 14th. So that is next Wednesday, and it will probably only stay open about five to seven days because, again, we need that time. So if you want to work on your gut, head over to my website on March 14th and enroll in the Good Gut Project. You can do so if you head to my website. You can do so just by going to work with Sean. Find that link. You'll see the Good Gut Project listed right there. Click on the Good Gut Project and then you can enroll from there. Super easy. And I'm excited for this next group to get going in the spring. Last thing to mention before we get going on your questions is my very exciting announcement that I have a new podcast partner that you guys are going to love because I know how much I love this company and what they're putting out as far as product. I've worked with them for so long and they truly are friends, but they also deliver the best quality bone broth around. If you haven't already tried Oh So Good Bone Broth, you are so missing out. And just as we're talking about the Good Gut Project and the need for a healthy, strong gut, bone broth is the place to go to get that healing that your gut needs, but also the rest of your body. I really, truly notice a difference when I'm regularly drinking bone broth, and for me, because oh so good bone broth tastes so good. And I'm not just saying that because they are a partner. I am 100% totally just every single time blown away and impressed by how awesome this bone broth tastes that I won't even ever try any other because it's that good. But I just take a small mug and sip on a little mug of bone broth Either at night before bed, which is one of my favorite things to do, or even as a midday snack, if I'm feeling a little peckish, but I don't really want a full snack or meal, then bone broth is the perfect thing to satisfy that little snacky type thing without needing to make a whole plate of food. So I do that. And when I do that regularly, which is most of the time, I notice such a big change in my skin, my hair, my nails, my energy, my thoughts, my mental clarity. I mean, it's just everything seems to fall into place with health when you include bone broth on a regular basis. So That's why I'm a huge fan. Not only it's a trendy thing, I feel like right now, but for good reason. And when you do so, you want to make sure that you are using bone broth that's from the best, highest quality source of bones you can possibly get, which is something that is super important to the people over at Oh So Good Bone Broth. They get all of their bones from local farms to them in California. All of their vegetables are organic. And like I said, it tastes so good. I don't know what they do. They just put magic in it. That's all I can say. So I want you all to try Oh So Good Bone Broth yourself. Go over to ohsogoodbones.com. Use the coupon code keto, the number four women, and you will get $10 off your order. Trust me, you want this in your life. Go over to osogoodbones.com right now and grab your bone broth. All right. Let's move on to these questions. Very excited because I don't know what's coming up. I don't know. Could be anything. We'll see. And just, again, as a disclaimer, as I said last time, I am completely doing this in a very open and honest way. These are my gut reactions. If I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you I don't know the answer because there are many things I don't know the answer to. So be prepared for that. I'm going to be totally honest and let you all know. And if I have a resource of where you could go to get that, then I'll let you know. But if I don't, I'm going to tell you that too. Okay, let's get going. First question. I can only get over 1.0 millimolar blood ketone level using exogenous ketones. If not, usually 0.3 to 0.8 max. Is this level high enough or should I continue using the exogenous ketones? Noticing more weight loss results with the exogenous ketones, but feel great either way. Thoughts? Well, my first thought really is that if you feel great either way, then I personally would go with the way that costs less, right? I mean, we've talked about exogenous ketones before on Keto for Women, and I even spent more time talking about it on the last Keto Hot Seat episode, so you can go back and listen to that. But I think that most of the time, I'm just going to be totally blunt here, they're going to be a waste of money and they're expensive. So if you're feeling great either way, then why bother? And also, if you need them to get into a ketogenic state, then you could also just kind of alter your diet for you to get into that ketogenic state. So you don't have to rely on exogenous ketones that are kind of bumping that up kind of in this ghost-like way. They're bumping them up Again, it's like putting a Band-Aid on something. You're Band-Aiding your inability to get into ketosis by using exogenous ketones when instead you could just eat more fat, lower your carbohydrates a little bit if you need to. I think it's probably, in your case, eating more fat, looking at your stress level, making sure you're sleeping well. Taking time out for yourself. I mean, these things that we don't think about because we only look at our diets. And then if our diets seem to be keto enough for us, then we're like, oh, okay, I'll just add these exogenous ketones and that will give me this false number. But really, you have to look at your entire life. There's a lot of other things that could be going on. And, you know, nine times out of 10, maybe 9.5 times out of 10, it's just because you need to eat more fat and sleep more. There we go. Easy. So in my, Personal opinion, I would say you're probably unnecessarily taking exogenous ketones and instead you could just save that money and go through it, the the actual process of finding out what works for you as far as producing ketones. Non-dairy ideas for increasing fats without going way over in protein – Oh, I love this question. And I talk about this all the time, but I really love adding fats in the form of sauces. And I don't see that many people doing it in the keto community, which is weird because it's so easy to me. You can make anything and everything a ketogenic meal by putting mayo on it, by putting the ranch dressing that I create from the mayo, which is on my blog, seanminor.com. I've gotten some really awesome reviews of this ranch dressing. And I tell you, I take my ranch dressing very seriously. And so I knew it tasted as good as I needed it to be. And so you all would love it as well. But yes, seanminer.com recipes, get that ranch dressing. That takes care of so much because you can put ranch, if you're like me, on everything and it tastes amazing. So I really think making homemade mayo, if you don't want to make it homemade, go get some avocado oil mayo. There's a couple different brands that are really great out there now. Just make sure it doesn't have avocado oil and some other wacky vegetable oil that we don't want to use. Make sure it's purely avocado oil and add that to all kinds of things. You can also add coconut products to things, coconut milk, coconut oil, Coconut flakes, you can add nuts and seeds to things. Nut butters, I think are great. And a lot of people in the keto community shy away from having nut butters. And it is hard because you can easily obviously overdo it. I think a lot of us have a problem stopping when we start eating nut butters. And that's why the little packets I think are so great. That's what I usually do is just grab the packets because they're already in portioned out servings but also because there are some carbohydrates in nut butters, but most likely for most of us, not enough that is going to kick you out of ketosis because of the higher fat content that is also part of that snack. So I really like using nut butters to bump up my fat. I also have a very easy time bumping up my fat when I eat chocolate. So you can do the 100% dark chocolate. The one that I love is the Eating Evolved Midnight Chocolate. I'll link to that so that you know where I get mine in the show notes. So you can look for that. That's pretty much straight fat. So you're going to have a really easy time. Of course, it's not sweet. So for me, I usually will dip it in a nut butter in order to get a teeny bit of sweetness. Even coconut butter would be great to have dipped your chocolate in. That's an awesome, super high fat snack. If you can tolerate a little bit of carbohydrate, then you can go for a 88, 90% dark chocolate that, again, is going to be majority fat with a teeny tiny bit of sugar. And so, again, a lot of us are going to be able to tolerate that without it kicking us out of ketosis or without feeling bad, having a blood sugar spike. So you'd have to determine that for you. Honestly, I have no problem getting my fats in when I know that that is the case, that I can have chocolate macadamia nuts peely nuts all those things are extremely high fat snacks that you can use but yeah i'm going back to the sauces especially on your actual meals make your meat make your veggies pour fat over it it's that easy you will have a ketogenic meal that tastes really really good Before we get any further with this episode, let me take just a second to tell you all about the Ample Ketogenic Meal Replacement Shakes. I'm so excited that this product is now out there. I can't wait for you all to try it. It is the first all-in-one keto meal replacement shake that gets the nutrition from quality real ingredients, which is so, so, so hard to find in the ketogenic space. You all know how important real food ingredients are for me, and I want to pass that information on to you. And here we now have a really great opportunity to have a meal replacement shake, something that's super easy for us to grab when we're on the go, running errands, don't have time for breakfast, don't feel like cooking, whatever it may be. We now have a place to turn, and that is the Ample Ketogenic Meal Replacement Shakes, 70% of the calories in this shake come from premium healthy fats, such as MCT oil powder, coconut oil powder, things we're already eating on a daily basis anyway. There are only six grams of net carbs in each meal, and it comes along with 40 billion CFUs of probiotics, which is like 10 times what you would get by drinking a kombucha. So they're really taking care of our gut health. They're keeping that in check while we're on our ketogenic diet. They have the prebiotic fibers necessary too within this shake to feed the good bacteria in your gut. They've thought of so much. It has potassium and magnesium so that if you're going through the keto flu or you just want to work on your electrolyte balance, which is something we talk about a lot on keto for women, that's taken care of too. And the best part is it actually tastes amazing. I taste so many ketogenic products. Most of them I don't like, so I don't even tell you about them. But I love the flavor of these ample shakes. You're going to love it. I can't wait for you all to try it. In order to do so, because they are a sponsor of the Keto for Women show, you lucky listeners get 15% off your order when you go to amplemeal.com and use the coupon code Keto the number four women 15 at checkout. That's amplemeal.com and use the coupon code keto the number four women 15 to get your 15% off your first order. I will make sure to have this information linked in the show notes so you can get easy access to your 15% off. Okay, moving on. Should one change the keto diet or be aware of something special? or keep something in mind when going and being keto on birth control and deciding to keep going with the birth control? Great question. I actually am going to have a whole podcast in the next probably three to four weeks about birth control and your options and what you're doing or not doing to your body by taking different forms just so you all have the information that you need to make the best decision for you. So that's coming up. Be on the lookout for that. But as far as keto and birth control, no, nothing really extra to take into consideration beyond what you are already doing as far as living the healthiest life that you can, eating as much nutrient-dense foods as you can. And really, I highly recommend the ketogenic diet for people that are on birth control because you then have a better chance at really restoring your hormonal health once you get off the birth control, if you are on hormonal birth control, then you really have a good chance at those kind of hopefully coming back to normal and balanced once you do go off your birth control options. So I think it's a great place to be while on it too, just to kind of prepare your body for that, really get your body nice and healthy as much as you possibly can while having the birth control going on in your system. Next, for someone who is super low intake for over a year, started with an illness, how do you add calories without gaining weight? During this period, I lost muscle mass, gained body fat, and acquired insulin resistance. Ah, ooh, I feel like I could just talk about this question the whole episode, which I'm not going to do. I'm going to keep this as brief as possible. But this is a really great question. So she started with an illness and... I know that there are a lot of circumstances where you are dealing with illness and don't feel like eating or just can't tolerate that amount of food that you need, are not keeping it down, are not absorbing it. There's a lot of different reasons. So I totally understand that. But this is very interesting because I do want to point out that When the calories were too low, so the energy requirements that you were providing for your body were not enough, which can happen with illness or without, and there are many people listening to this right now who are not eating enough food, notice acquired insulin resistance, gained body fat, lost muscle mass. That is exactly to the t what happens to your body when you don't feed it enough food, whether you're keto or not, you still have to feed your body enough food to keep this from happening because you will lose muscle mass. You will gain body fat. So that whole body composition changes, even if you technically are losing weight on the scale. And I think most of us Not all, because there are some people that are just really stuck on what that number says on the scale, and that's all they care about. But I think most of us really healthy women or striving to be healthy women would rather have a body fat composition change over a weight loss change. And many times, that does not mean that the scale changes in a favorable direction as well many, many, many times, which is why I'm like, why are we still weighing ourselves? It makes no sense. But that's a whole nother topic that I won't get into now because I do want to answer this question and move on. So really important to note that this is what happens when calories are too low. And as it relates to the insulin resistance, I see this all the time, specifically in the Women in the Fat-Burning Female Project, who have been on periods of dieting and restriction and eating less to try to lose weight, often you develop blood sugar issues because of that. So there are so many women that think they're healthy because they've been, quote unquote, eating healthy for so long. And by eating healthy, I mean dieting, really. And in fact, they've done damage to their blood sugar to at that point. So Again, it can happen by eating less, and it will if you continue to do that. But her actual question, now that I'm off that soapbox, is how do you add calories without gaining weight? Well, first, you have to understand that calories don't make you gain weight. Calories fuel your body. Calories provide the energy that you need for everyday life for you to literally do everything. Whether you are keto or not, even if you think like, oh, my body is burning its own fat stores and so I don't need to eat as much food. No, that's not true. That's not true. You still need to fuel your body with actual nutrition, nutrients coming from your food. So you have to understand that and not have that fear that, oh, I'm going to eat more, so I'm going to gain weight. Now I will say there is a big caveat and this happens in the fat burning female project, just to be totally honest. And that is if someone is coming from calorie restriction, especially if it's been happening for years, which I don't know in this case how long it's been, but if you need to bump up your food intake in order to be a healthy, thriving woman and to heal your body, then there may be a short period of time where yes, you do gain weight. It's not going to be a ton. It's going to be very minimal. Basically, you're just going to feel like you're Clothes are a little bit tight and not fitting as well as you'd like them. And then you will start that process. Once you're in a ketogenic state, once your body realizes that the amount of food is always going to be there and it doesn't need to store that, once your metabolism picks up and you regulate those signals, and then things get a whole lot better and a whole lot easier. So yes, there is this point. I also do want to mention that... That weight gain, if you're going straight from what the scale says, could in fact be muscle. So I would assume that this person that asked the question, now that she's lost muscle mass, would be really happy to gain back that muscle mass, which may mean the scale changes. That's not a bad thing. That's a really good thing because we all know, and if you don't, I'm going to tell you now, muscle weighs more than fat. Or you could also think of it as a pound of muscle is more dense and smaller than a pound of fat, which is, you know, takes up more space. So you could also think of it that way. Either way, we would really love for this muscle to be gained, which again will happen with a ketogenic diet. For all of us, just with the natural increase in human growth hormone and your hormones regulating, which for a lot of us women means a slight increase in testosterone to get us back to optimal and that will help you build muscle. So it's going to happen, but you are not going to gain fat. You are not going to gain unhealthy weight by increasing your calories as long as you stay in a ketogenic ratio. If you are eating real nutrient-dense, whole foods, tons of vegetables, lots of healthy fats, really good quality meats, I mean, think about that. You're not going to gain weight. That is not something that makes you gain weight. It's sugar and carbohydrates, insulin surges, and she is insulin resistant. So it's going to take a little bit of time to heal that, but she's going to need to eat more of your calories in a ketogenic approach to do so. But yeah, please don't worry about it. At this point, I think you increasing your intake to be a healthy woman, especially post illness, which hopefully it sounds like you're getting out of illness and working on this now. So hopefully that means you're recovering and this is the way to make that happen even faster so you can get back to feeling like yourself again. Okay. Hope they made that as short as, as short as possible. All right, next one. Started keto and feel great. Skin cleared and constant headaches are gone. Ooh, that's exciting. Now I'm losing my hair rapidly. Why and how do I stop it? So I did already answer this question in the first episode of the Keto Hot Seat. So you can go back and listen to that. I explain all the reasons why you could potentially be losing hair on keto. It definitely is something that is pretty common, but there's a pretty common reason why. All right, moving right along. Your thoughts on butter coffee. Ah, I like this question too My thoughts on butter coffee I think that it's great it tastes really good Super fun way to wake you up and get you going for the morning I think but here's a couple things that come to mind now also when I am talking about butter coffee I'm also talking about bulletproof coffee so these, drinks, hot beverages, whether it's coffee, tea, whatever you prefer, where you're putting in maybe some MCT oil, maybe coconut oil, butter, just loading the fat into your drink, which again, tastes really good and nothing wrong with it. What I do see being an issue is women only drinking that for their breakfast, waiting till lunch or later to eat and struggling. That's where I have a problem with butter coffees or bulletproof coffees or whatever you're drinking, putting all the fat in your hot drink situations. I really, truly believe that most women, at least for a period of time when starting keto, kind of finding what they do and don't like, what their body does and doesn't like, and how they do best, I think women need to actually eat food in the morning. This could also include your bulletproof. So if you're doing a bulletproof or a butter coffee, along with some eggs and avocado and some veggies, cool. That is a perfect breakfast for a healthy ketogenic woman. If you are putting extra other things in your bulletproof coffee, which would more so be kind of what Leanne Vogel promotes as her rocket fuel latte, that does have some protein and a small amount of carbs. I think that's cool too. I really like putting collagen peptides in my butter coffees. I also will sometimes put some yacon syrup or something if I want it to be slightly sweeter, even some honey that will add a little bit of carbohydrate. So if you can make it more of a meal and that's all you're going to eat for the morning, okay, I'm cool with that. But then I still think eating some food at lunch would be appropriate. But for a lot of women, that's not going to work either and you need to actually eat food. Now, how to know if it's working for you or not is essentially sometimes it's going to take longer to know if it's working for you or not because you will have to see if your hormones get better or worse with keto, if you feel really good, if you tend to lose energy midday, if you start feeling sleepy or lose your mental clarity midday. But really, the biggest thing that I see women do the butter or bulletproof coffee. And then at like 3 or 4 p.m., all of a sudden they start munching. They get the munchies. They start having all these snacks. They don't feel satisfied. They have these big dinners. They don't sleep well. There's all these other little factors that you don't know is actually just because you need to eat breakfast and not drink it only. And then once you start having breakfast, you see, oh, I don't snack anymore because I actually ate food in the morning. So I don't need that midday snack or I don't have the munchies later on because I have started my day with this really good, awesome meal. So that's my take, but I really do think that it can absolutely include a butter coffee or a Bulletproof coffee along with actually chewing. There's something about actually chewing your food, getting that digestive process flowing that is very good for those hunger hormones and the satiety hormones. So leptin and ghrelin, getting those regulated. And if you're someone that is leptin resistant or has been, which I was, this will be really important to you to actually eat breakfast. It was really one of the things that helped me. Okay. There are so many kinds of magnesium. Which do you recommend specifically for sleeping better? What is your experience with l 3 8 Thanks, Sean. Okay. So yes, there are lots of different kinds of magnesium and really what I recommend is for you to go through the process to find out which one works for you. Because we're all different. We all process them differently. And some people do really well with glycinate. Some people makes them run to the bathroom. So you have to determine what works best for you. And that's what I recommend you take. Specifically for sleeping, they all are going to help calm. So no matter what magnesium will help that, but you may need to just take more. So if you're not noticing any changes with your sleep, and I do recommend for most people taking magnesium at night before bed, maybe like 30 to 45 minutes before you go to sleep. If you don't notice a change and if you're still having problems falling asleep while taking magnesium, you might need more. So you can kind of play with your dose to see what works best for you there. You're not Really, going to overdose on magnesium, it's really kind of impossible to do so because most of us are super deficient anyway. And because our body uses it in so many processes, that you know, everyone's requirements are different, but you'd have to take a lot to even feel anything super negative. Now, that being said, one of the things of taking a little too much would be if you have to run to the bathroom. So, if you have diarrhea or explosive stools, you more than likely took too much magnesium if that was something you were toying with before. So keep that in mind. That's usually a good sign for people that that dose was a little too much and then just taking it one step down is perfect. So you can almost use that as your indicator as what your dose is. The only other thing I'll say about magnesium is that a lot of times it really is best just to take a variety. There are some magnesium supplements, and the one that I recommended in the supplement episode is this way, that have like two or three different sources and different kinds of magnesium in one product. So you could take something like that. So you're getting a little bit of everything, or like for me, I take that, but then I also especially if I'm feeling like I had a stressful day or I'm not quite ready to go to bed, I'm not as calm as I think I should be, then you can just take a different form. So then that would be a time where I take magnesium glycinate because for me, that really helps calm me down. That's kind of a little more potent to my body. And I feel that effect a little bit better. So I'll take the tri-magnesium with also some magnesium glycinate added in there and then I sleep like a baby. So that is an option as well. As far as L-threonate, three I do not know really anything about that. So I'm just going to tell you that now. I know it's a form of magnesium and it has more specific functions for certain things, I think like brain health or something, but I don't know anything beyond that. So I cannot even tell you. Moving right along. Will keto help relieve PMS, such as severe bloating, tender chest, depression, and exhaustion? Considering going on birth control to help, keto or birth control for PMS? Oh my gosh, please, keto. Please, 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 keto. I am, as you will find out, very anti birth control, and you'll find that out in an upcoming episode. And I will explain totally why and give you the 100% option to determine if it's right for you or not. But Before you, this person who asked this question, before you go on birth control, please try keto first because that is going to do wonders for your PMS and you won't need to add in synthetic hormones that are potentially very harmful to you in the process. So it's like two opposite ends of the spectrum that you just asked and I would love to see you go for the more health promoting aspect, which would be keto. Now, as far as keto for PMS, I mean, it's kind of one of the overwhelmingly obvious things that happen to women when they go ketogenic and when they do so in the correct way. So very much a fat-burning female, take it slow, eat enough food, get your nutrients, that kind of thing. The approach that I really, really strongly recommend when that happens within one to two months, you see significant improvement. Now, it does take one to two months. So don't expect the next cycle to be totally magical. It does take a little bit of time because, as I've said so many times, our hormones take a little while to regulate themselves. They're very slow moving. Even if they're in the right direction, it can be a slow process. So keep that in mind. But you should see improvements you know, within the first few cycles for sure. And it makes such a big difference. You really, and I'm someone that experienced this myself, to go from having cramps and tender breasts and mood changes and cravings and all that stuff like a normal PMS situation to then literally barely knowing that my period's even around. I know when it starts because it starts. And then I know in about four days it's going to stop and life completely goes on without any interruption because of keto. So I really highly recommend you give that a try. Oh, this is a follow-up question to that. Perfect. Since I started keto in September, my period cramps have gotten really bad. I even get cramps during ovulation. Is this normal? No, it is not. It is most likely because you are not doing the right keto for your body. It more than likely is because you actually cause some stress on the body when either making the transition to keto or currently being in ketosis. And that's causing kind of the opposite effect of what keto should do when done correctly for women. So I would really make sure you take a look at what you're eating, how much you're eating, If you're actually in ketosis, if you are producing ketones, you may be someone that needs to get a higher reading in order to get the healing benefits of those ketones for your hormones. So keep that in mind. But I would almost bet you may not even be in ketosis. You may be eating a ketogenic-like diet or a low-carb diet, but you're not eating true keto for your body, which might include more fat or lowering your carbs, whatever, lowering your protein. Just- You know, there's a lot of different options that I talk about a lot, but I would recommend looking at that first because once you are truly ketogenic and it's not a stressor on your body, which is why I have the Fat-Burning Female Project, then that's when we see this opposite effect happen with our cycles, specifically in the PMS and all that stuff. Next up, If you have a client who has been doing keto for over four years with maybe four, quote unquote, off-plan meals in that time, and they got down to their lowest percentage of body fat, but then suddenly started gaining weight and is up from 17% body fat to 22%, would you recommend two weeks off a carb-up, an off-plan meal? Very tough telling someone to take two weeks off of keto or to do carb-ups when she never had any issue. She has taken out dairy and does intermittent fasting. Any thoughts? Ooh. Yeah. Lots of thoughts. Okay. I wouldn't recommend doing anything that you said two weeks off carb up off plan. I mean, if she wants to include more carbs, if it feels like she has that kind of intuitive sense that maybe her energy is a little too low or she's not sleeping well or not feeling as good as she could, then maybe she does need a carb up here and there. That could potentially be, I don't think taking two weeks off is the right move, or having an, like a cheat meal thing. I don't think that's necessary either. I would say to really look, especially because she's doing intermittent fasting, that she's eating enough food. I see this a lot. So just really want to make sure, especially because she's been doing it for four years, that in this four years, did she have a change in her metabolism, her metabolic rate? So if she wasn't eating enough food, then that's going to happen. And then you're going to see these kind of First, they come as plateaus, and then they come as weight gain, especially in the form of body fat gain, just because the metabolism has shifted so much. So you really want to see if that has happened, perhaps. That was my first flag, is make sure that the food quantity is not enough, and you may need to have her eat more to start boosting up that metabolism again while still being in a ketogenic place look at her stress level, look at her sleep patterns, look at her hormones. I mean, this is like the typical thing that we as people and specifically as women do that we have to get away from, which is, okay, this changed my body fat composition changed. What do I need to manipulate about my food? Because let's say seven to eight times out of 10, it's not food. It's everything else. If she's eating enough, she's keto, she feels really good with her, what she's eating, all that stuff, then you need to look at the other stuff. Like I said, sleep, stress, hormones, gut health, self-care routine, workouts. I mean, geez, there's so much that could be going on. So this is where we really have to expand our seeking and look at everything. The holistic approach to health, not the let's stare down your food journal and see what's going on. Let's get away from that as much as possible. But like I said, it could be simply she needs to eat more, but I have a feeling it's going to be that in addition to one of those other things I just mentioned. Moving right along, apologies if this has already been covered, but I'd love to know more about your home workouts, i.e. how often, duration, and what sort of exercises. Many thanks. So I've talked about this before on the podcast. I can't remember if it was the last Keto Hot Sea episode, so I will only briefly cover this again for my home workouts, which have recently changed. And I'll talk about this more because now I'm doing less at home and more group training, but I still do my home workouts and I use the Nike training club app. It is free. It is easy, convenient. You can do it with zero equipment or a full gym or anything in between. It's so awesome. The workouts are great. They're very challenging. They're done in 30 to 45 minutes. And so she's asking how often Me personally, I like to do some sort of workout five days a week. I do an active recovery one day a week, and then I have a total complete rest day where I don't do anything, but maybe, maybe go for a little walk one day a week. So those five days a week, at least three are working on building muscle actively working on building up some muscle. And then the other two are either either like a hike or dance or hit or something like that. But I do recommend minimum for women looking to keep and build strength, muscle, change your body fat composition, at least three days working on that specific goal. And the Nike training app can definitely help you with that. Like I said, the duration lasts anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. And then sort of exercises, the strength training, strength building, exercises, which if you don't know what those are, you have the Nike training app. If the Nike training app seems a little bit much, and if you are new to starting out with a strength building program, I do have a home strength workout routine I have a whole ebook. It's like 19 bucks on my website. You can go grab that and you can get started with if you need a more type of beginners or really when I created the book, it was for people coming out of adrenal fatigue, autoimmune disease, any sort of issue that was taxing on the body. That's what I created this workout plan for. And it's all done at home with just a few little easy to get pieces of equipment. So you can do that too. If you're ready for the next step, then you could do the Nike training app. All right, we're going to do a few more here. Gluconeogenesis, depending on who you listen to, it's either this thing to be afraid of like a magical number, which if you go over it will all turn to sugar or it'll happen. If your body needs it, stop being scared of protein mindset as someone insulin resistant. I'm curious how much I have to worry about this and which is accurate. Ooh, I feel like it's somewhere in between. (laughs) So for those that don't know, gluconeogenesis is kind of a hot word in the keto community. So you probably already do know, but I'll just go over it really quickly. Basically, what that is, is when your body needs glucose, which we all need glucose regardless of how many carbohydrates we eat, there are certain processes in our body that require glucose. And if you're not eating carbohydrates, there are many other ways to get glucose and for your body to create that, one of which is breaking down your protein sources or your muscle mass in turning it into glucose. So, this lady seems like more so asking about when the protein you eat turns into glucose and how to determine how much your body needs of protein before this gluconeogenesis happens in a negative way and can impact your blood sugar. And really, again, it's different for everybody I do agree that there are some fear mongers out there in the keto community that make you scared of eating protein. And then there are people who are all about the protein. If I had to lean one way or the other, I would lean more towards the all about your protein, mainly because I see, especially for women, and especially if you're cycling and you need a little bit more iron, or if you are working on building muscle. And if you're noticing any muscle loss, then this is typically a sign because we do need protein. We absolutely need protein in kind of this, again, magical number that is the best amount for our bodies and for all the functions of your body, one of which is building and repairing and restoring muscle without that excess causing this blood sugar spike. And really, I don't think It's so much so about the overall grams of protein per day, but more so kind of what your body does with each serving. So, you know, if someone's having a six ounce chicken breast, that's all protein and very little anything else. And it's probably going to cause some blood sugar issues and may cause that blood sugar to spike, especially in someone that's insulin resistant and that's just a large amount of strictly protein to eat in one meal. So we would all probably have some sort of blood sugar reaction. However, if you're having a pretty fatty cut of steak and it's you know three to four ounces, you're also having butter with that and some veggies, then it's going to have a different impact on your blood sugar. So that meal is a lot different than just eating straight protein. You have the fat to kind of combat that. You're eating some other nutrients along with it, and. And so that blood sugar effect is not going to be the same, which we really do need to consider that as someone that is insulin resistant. So that's what you should be kind of thinking about when you include protein into your diet if you are trying to heal your blood sugar is more so keeping each serving a moderate portion while also thinking about the amount of fat that you're including with that to kind of buffer that blood sugar response. Now, yes, of course, the overall amount is going to be something to consider too, but if you're just having a moderate level of protein three times a day at your meals, you're not going to go over any sort of amount to the point where you're kicked out of ketosis or damaging your blood sugar any further. So again those moderate portions of protein, three times a day, not going super crazy with the pure protein at any one sitting, keeping the fats high, you're fine. We don't really need to worry about it. Beyond that, you're not going to do any harm by getting a little bit extra grass-fed beef here and there. You're going to be okay. So I know it's definitely something where some people eat almost no protein, and I don't agree with that either. So make sure you get that level right for you. And it does depend on a lot of things like how active you are, your blood sugar status currently. There's a lot of other factors, which is why I can't be like, oh, eat this such and such amount, but don't worry so much about it. Protein's great for us. Okay. We'll make this probably the last one here. I have a wall full of essential oils. I would love to know if you've ever used them and how to support keto life. Thanks so much for your podcast. I've gone back and listened all the way back till June. Oh, yay. Such valuable info for women changing to this lifestyle. Thanks so much. Appreciate the kind words. So yes, I do use essential oils. I... Don't use really any specifically for keto, to be honest, although I know there probably are some. I don't have a whole lot of information as some people do that are more into the essential oil space, but I do really like them for women's health, especially as it relates to our stress and being able to get into parasympathetic mode, which a lot of us women can't, and really using them for self-care practices and our emotional health and that kind of stuff. So I really like using things like lavender. I use lavender every night when I go to bed and I use doTERRA oils. So if you use something else, they might be called something different, but I use Serenity, which is a blend from doTERRA and lavender on my temples and my wrists and the bottoms of my feet before I go to bed. So I like being able to smell that, but I also really do feel the calming effects of that. If I take a bath, which I take a few per week, I will put lavender in there or clary sage in there as more, again, just like the relaxing vibe. If you are someone that does get PMS, I do really like clary sage for that. And you can rub it right on your abdomen and get some relief there. If you're someone that needs more energy, I think peppermint is great for that. I really love peppermint. And as just an overall health status thing, my favorite is frankincense. For a while there when I was feeling really sick, I put that under my tongue every day. And now I use it just kind of sparingly. If I feel like I'm having an off day, I'll put some under my tongue or I'll just sniff it, put it in my diffuser or something like that. And I really love that. And The only other thing that I use essential oils for regularly is for my face. It helped my skin so much. And I've been doing this for now two years, almost every night I rotate off, but I do have a blend that I put on my face every night and I haven't had a pimple since. It's frankincense, myrrh, rosemary, lavender, and clove. So for those five, I've done that for two years. I put that in a little dropper bottle with, I kind of change it up, but as of right now, I'm using jojoba oil as the base and I love it. It's so amazing and it's very healing. I do talk about that quite a bit over on Instagram stories. Every time I make it, I tell you how I make it. So if you didn't get that down, you can go over there and I'll be making some up soon, usually do about once a month. So you can see what, is in there. But yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not the person to give you all the knowledge about essential oils. I don't sell them. I'm not a rep. I just kind of use them as needed, but I do love them and I think they're great. And I think everyone should get involved in that is just kind of an alternate form of self-care and health care. to be honest, a little bit of both. Okay. I think we'll wrap the episode up with that last question for today. We do have probably about one more episode worth of questions here that I'm just kind of seeing. So we'll get to those in a few weeks and then I'll be asking for more. So get your questions ready and be on the lookout for that post on Instagram or Facebook. Okay. Next week, we have a special guest, I love this episode. I highly encourage you to listen, even if you're not someone that's currently in that stage of life, which you will understand once you see that title of the podcast episode. Highly recommend. It's such great information, and it's going to help so many people. And it was just a really good episode. So looking forward to having you back next week. And until then, take care.